Yeah, thankful for your attendance today, and here you are, Meadowbrook. Let's uh, also just welcome those who are watching literally around the world on our streaming services on Facebook and on our, our website. Uh, I get a response from folks every now and then from around the country just saying, hey, I was worshiping with you today and have been encouraged by the worship and the word. And so we just celebrate their attendance as well. Maybe they're home, maybe they're sick, uh, maybe there's something going on in life that won't let them get out. Would you just welcome all of them that are watching today by our streaming service? We're thankful for you and grateful that you have chosen to, to watch today. And if, if at all possible for you to be here on the campus, that's where, really where we'd like for you to be because we want to touch each other, love on each other, and encourage each other face to face. Well, if you're with me in the scripture today, you're opening your Bible to Proverbs again. We're focusing through Proverbs as we're finishing our Proverbs series through 40 days. We've been working on this for a while, and now that we're in the middle of 40 days or at the beginning of 40 days, we're also considering those things in the Proverbs that God is freeing us from in Christ Jesus. Last week, we talked about pride, and many of you talked about humility in your life group today which Jesus brings to us the freedom from the sin of pride and humbles us with the nature of his spirit that dwells within us. We're grateful for that. And today we're talking about envy and how we might be victorious over envy and have a real contentment in life. So Proverbs chapter 14 verse 30 says this, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. I really am interested in what the proverb is saying there, that if you want to have a peaceful life, then that peacefulness comes by having tranquility, the opposite of which would bring rot to our bones, or as the New Living Translation says, like cancer to our flesh, like cancer to our bones. And so there is something about envy that eats within us, that causes real calamity within us. We might be able to fake it on the outside, but there's no faking what's going on on the inside. I was telling the earlier service that I've had a lot of people come by my office or we'll go to lunch or we'll see each other out and about. And they say, Randy, would you pray for me about this? And maybe they're wanting me to speak a little bit of God's truth from his Bible into that scenario. It might be sexual immorality. It might be adultery. It might be a lying issue. It might be some measure of brokenness in which uh, all of us have a measure of brokenness in our lives. But I've never had a single person come to me and say, Pastor, can I talk to you? I've got this thing called envy going on. I've never had anybody do that. I've had a lot of people tell me a lot of things, but I haven't had anybody tell me envy. That's the rot of my bones. That's where my soul is struggling. But I'm just guessing that there's not a single person in this room, including the guy on the platform, that does not struggle with envy. We all do. And yet Jesus has come to give us freedom from that, to give us something different from that which is common in the world. So let's go back into the scriptures and let's figure out what God has to say about the freedom that is ours in Christ from envy. Now, if I were going to trail back and look for an example of envy, I wouldn't have to go very far in the scriptures Samuel tells us about the life of King Saul. Now, this is a guy who had a lot going for him. He came from a wealthy family. 
He was tall, dark, and handsome. That's what the scripture says. That's not just my terms. That's the scripture's terms. In fact, it says there was not a man among people of Israel more handsome than he. He was shoulders upward, taller than all the people around him. So that literally meant that people were constantly looking up to him. And he had a lot of respect from most all of the people. Saul was like a, a man in his prime. At the age of 30, God ushered him into the first of Israel's dynasty, the first of the kings of Israel. And he had all things going for him. He had looks, power, prestige. He had possession. God had given him tremendous success. In fact, when he went out to battle, he was victorious in those battles. He went, against, went out against the Ammonites, and God gave him victory over them. I can't help but think about that narrative. The Ammonites had come against the people of uh, Gadesh uh, Gilead, and they surrounded them to the point that they felt hopeless, and the Ammonites said to them, uh, we are going to make you our slaves. You must submit to us, and we are going to gouge the eyes of every person the right eye of every single person. And that will bring humility to you and submission. Now, in that way, they were somewhat negotiating with the Ammonites, the people there at, uh, in that place where the, the, the enemy had surrounded them actually determined, we're going to submit to that. We're going to let you take us into submission. We're going to let you gouge the right eye out of each of us, and we're going to humble ourselves in that way. But as they're wrestling over that with the rest of the community, Saul catches wind of it. Saul hears about that, and the scripture says the Spirit of God came rushing into Saul, giving him the power to overcome the Ammonites, and he went out and started to garner the support of the people and rallied up 300,000 people to fight with him. And, of course, they went and they just cleaned house. They took care of the Ammonites. That was the way God was making it for Saul, that when he went out, he went out to battle and he went victorious. Whether it was the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Philistines, it did not matter. God was giving Saul great victory. I, I wish I could say that Saul was one of those guys because he had it all together, seemingly. Saul was one of those guys that lived happily ever after, but he didn't. He didn't live happily ever after, and he certainly didn't have it all together. In fact, he had a rebellious spirit about him. He had, he had a nature about him that he wanted to do things outside of the instruction of God. Success has a way of bringing that kind of attitude to us. It's all bent in that direction. He rebelled against God, disobeyed God, he worshiped God in the way that he wanted to worship rather than the way that God prescribed him to worship. And in the end, God rejected him as king and he removed his spirit from him. That was before the day of Pentecost when the spirit of God settled into those of faith. He removed his spirit from him, and the rest of his story is marked with fear and turbulence and jealousy and envy. It reminds us that life without the spirit is a life of brokenness. It's a life of struggle. It's a life without joy. It doesn't have to be that way. One of the Israelites, the youngest son of a man named Jesse, was from Bethlehem, was actually given to service to the king. He was a young man filled with the Holy Spirit. His name was David. He was a skilled musician. 
He was a man of valor, the Bible says. He was a courageous warrior, well-spoken and good-looking. He brought comfort to the king, and when the king had a tormenting spirit that was harmful to him come upon him, it was David who could actually soothe him. It was David who could actually lift him. David, as you remember, single-handedly by the power of God killed the chief warrior of the Philistines, Goliath, and brought victory to the Israelites among their enemies. No one was more faithful to King Saul than David. But one day, as he and his men were returning from a victorious battle over the Philistines, they were coming into the town, and you can imagine that the town would flood into the area, and they would begin to chant and call out cries of joy and victory for those who were marching in. As King Saul was coming in, and David, the commander of his army, was coming in with him, and all the warriors who were so courageous were coming in in a victorious parade. All the people were cheering and all of them were calling out with great uh, affirmation to them. David and Saul were listening and this is what they heard. They heard the women shaking their tambourines and singing and dancing joyfully saying, he has killed his thousands, Saul has, but David has killed his tens of thousands. That struck Saul. And in his anger, he said, they have ascribed to David tens of thousands, and they ascribe to me thousands. And look at this passage. What more can he have but the whole kingdom? Isn't that crazy? The words of somebody else bringing affirmation to somebody else, and Saul takes it all the way to the point What else could he have but the whole kingdom? And the scripture says he kept his eye on David from that point forward. And I think what it's saying there is that he eyed him to look for the opportunity to get rid of him. That's envy to the hard core of envy. It's destructive, no doubt. Envy is so distorting that Saul could not have the right sight. He couldn't have the right thoughts. He he never saw David again. He didn't see him as he was as a faithful servant, one who had given him nothing but honor. Instead, he saw him absolutely differently. The next day, after the day of celebration, David is there. He's playing his lyre, and Saul is listening to it. And in the envy that had built up in him, he took the spear that was near him, and he thrust it at David, hoping to pin him to the wall in order to kill him. David twice escaped Saul's violence against him. The king's actions, of course, are escalated, if you know the the scripture, escalated by this tormenting spirit. But the deadly undercurrent in his life was jealousy and envy. It caused him to see things totally differently and totally wrong. Just reminded that if we hold on to envy, letting it linger into us, allowing it to grow in our hearts, then it will lead to spiritual, emotional, and physical destruction and even death. It's not to be played with. You can't let it linger. Even the secular health professionals point out that envy is a destructive pattern in people's lives, saying that envious people tend to feel hostile, resentful, angry and irritable 
According to those experts, envy is related to depression, anxiety, and personal unhappiness. People are less likely to feel gratitude when they have envy. So envy was the sole cancer that Saul had. It robbed him of joy and peace, and it blinded him to seeing God's blessings in his life. All those blessings were still there. All those things that Saul had possession of were still his, but he failed to see them in the same way once envy took over his sight. So envy forces us to be resentful and painfully pay attention to what we don't have, building in us a joy-robbing dissatisfaction and discontent. So we can all say that envy is not only a sin that put Jesus to the cross, but envy is a sin that actually brings misery and destruction to us from the inside. That's the reason why Proverbs says it's like rot to the bones. It is that to our soul. It has a destructive power. The Bible paints so vividly that image of David and Saul and the victorious warriors marching in and the people joy-filled in celebration over the victory, singing songs and chanting their victory. They shook their tambourines and they sang with all the happiness that they could have. They played their instruments and danced around the, the streets. Everybody was joyous and abounding in joy except for Saul. Envy will rob you of that kind of celebration in life. The leader of Israel, if you think about it, had all the great possessions. Nobody had more in him than the kingdom of Israel. Nobody had a greater palace than him. Nobody had a more beautiful wife. No one had all the power that he had, but yet he's the one that's not celebrating. The blackness of envy and jealousy will blind us, my friends. And so Jesus certainly wants us to be set free from that. You can't glorify God with envy in your heart. You can't be content with God with jealousy in your soul. So let's talk about the difference in these because I think it's important for us to do so. Jealousy is a reaction to the fear or threat of losing something or someone we possess. It's jealousy. A jealousy can be either a good thing or it can be a bad thing. It can be unrighteous. It can be righteous. What I mean by that is you can have righteous jealousy, something that's holy. God certainly has done that. For instance, God has a covenant relationship with people, and he says he is jealous for those people. That's why idolatry is such a big deal. Because God is in a covenant relationship with people, and when they turn to idols and they worship idols, they have disengaged from the relationship they have with God and they put their relationship or their love and affection for a false God in idolatry. And God says, you and I belong together. I'm jealous over that. And that's a healthy jealousy. So there can be a healthy jealousy between my wife and me. Because my wife is given to me and I am given to her. Now, I get she gets the short end of that stick. I recognize that. But she belongs to me and I belong to her. If, if one of you guys go and you start flirting with my wife, I'm going to be jealous for the relationship that God has given me with my wife. And that is a righteous jealousy. Now, we get that, right? 
If it's self-inclined, if it's selfish, then that can be very sinful. But if it's God-inspired, what God has given, and we're jealous over that because it brings glory to him and goodness to others, then we ought to be jealous for that. There is never a single time in Scripture that envy is righteous. Envy is always sinful and unrighteous. There's never a time that envy builds up any relationship, but there is time where jealousy can break down a relationship. So God wants to free us from envy. He wants us to have nothing to do with envy whatsoever. Envy is clearly away from the transformation of the Holy Spirit in our life. What God is working in us in the spirit of transformation can be dismantled with envy. It can cause that buildup to break down. Envy is being discontent with God and his provisions. Can I just let that one settle in for a moment? Envy is being discontent with God. It's a lack of faith for God and a lack of understanding of what God is providing for us and being willing to be content with that. So there's a list throughout the Bible, multiples of those that include envy, but in every one of them, he's telling us to do away with envy. It's a part of the flesh. So here, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church, and he says, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what Paul is doing there is he's, he's posturing. He's telling us that there are diametrically opposed forces, and one is the force of the Spirit, the other is our flesh, and those are against one another. The Spirit is at work in us, making us into the image of Christ, and the flesh which we are born in wants to keep us rooted in sin. So Paul is saying that I'm saying to you, you who are new in Christ, new in faith in God, he's given you a new spirit, a new nature, a new heart, walk in the spirit. Now walk in the spirit means to simply live in the spirit. As you're walking throughout your days, as you're walking in the evenings, as you're walking in life, do it with the spirit, live in the spirit. And if you're focused on walking with the spirit, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now here's the works of the flesh. These are the things of the flesh, and he's going to list a number of them. I see them in categories, but the the individual listing is pretty clear. Here's the works of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. So all those things are rooted in the desires, be it sexually impure desires, sexual immoral desires, or sensuality be given over to the things of the flesh. He says that's part of the flesh that Christ has set you free from. And then idolatry and sorcery, those are obviously things of the heart. God says to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love him alone, right? So idolatry is obviously against that. It's against the basis of loving God first. You shall have no other gods before you. Why? Because you love me and I love you. But idolatry and sorcery is the opposite of that. And then here's this middle section, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. All those things are of the heart. They're given expressions of the heart. And you and I need to have the Holy Spirit of God helping us not to have those things. 
Christ Jesus has triumphed over those things. He didn't wrestle with that. He didn't sin in that way. He might have been tempted in that, but he's holy, absolutely holy. And he gives that same righteousness to us by his spirit. So we can be transformed even in that area in our life. And then it closes out with drunkenness and orgies and things like these. So among those those sins that are mentioned of the flesh, envy rests in the midst of this. So he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're discounting envy, stop. People who are envious don't inherit the kingdom of God. If you're discounting sin in your life, stop. People who are given to the sin of the flesh do not inherit the kingdom of God. You know why? Because the spirit is stronger than your flesh. And if you're new in Christ, then the spirit who dwells within, who has transformed you, who is working powerfully in you, the same power that resurrected Christ from the grave is alive in you. And that spirit has victory over the things of the flesh. Those people are living in the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean that you're not going to be with temptation. It doesn't mean that you're not going to wrestle with sin. It doesn't mean that you're not going to stumble and have great regret. But you don't stay in that place, and I don't stay in that place. We get back up in the things of the Spirit. We confess that which is sinful to God, and we repent. We change the way we think about it. We come to the life of the Spirit. And what the Spirit of God is constantly doing for those of us who are saved is He's reminding us that's sinful and that is not of my kingdom. Come back to who you are holy, righteous, blameless before God. Come back to that. Envy is amongst those sins that Jesus died for, He's given us victory over, and shows evidence that we're living in His kingdom. Do you remember in school when you used to have a, usually twice a year would have a school assembly because you were getting ready as a school to sell something? Yeah, we did that when I was in school. There's two... Two assemblies, two different times in the year. The first assembly was us getting together and being shown what we were going to sell. Chocolate bars. Anybody ever do that? And this guy would come from I don't know where and he would tell us the spiel that we needed to say to all of our family, neighbors, friends, church folk. Go door to door and knock on that door and tell them they can't live without this candy bar. And he would show you prizes that you might be able to win if you sold a certain tier of candy bars. And if you're in the upper tier, you might just win, in my day, a brand new boom box. (laughs) And the principal would come in with that thing rocking on his shoulder, right? Or maybe a brand new bicycle. Man, did that bicycle look better than anything I saw in the Sears Roebuck catalog. So I'd go out, and I'd go to my neighbors. Hey, I'm Randy Gunner from St. Clair, and uh, I w- you don't want to buy one of these candy bars, do you? <laughs> and I'd move along. I'd sell a few, and I'd buy a few to eat myself, right? You kind of spot yourself a little bit because you want to get into the next tier very quickly because in the next tier, it might be something really cool. 
like a rubber band propeller or something. I don't know. And then the next week, we would have another assembly, and the assembly was to announce the winners, the highest salespeople, right? Not since last Tuesday. I knew I wasn't going to be in that group. I was just hoping to get out of the bottom tier. But they'd bring out this bicycle. And I honestly don't remember if it was Chuck or Donna or who. But somebody won that bicycle. And I remember sitting in the bleachers of that gymnasium at that assembly. And I was clapping. But the whole time I'm thinking, let her run right into that guy who convinced me to spend last week selling candy bars when I didn't want to spend last week selling candy bars. Let her smash him down. (laughs) And then I'd go back to my homeroom and I would get three colored eraser heads for my number two pencil (laughs) because that was the tier I was in. Anybody with me on that? That is envy. That's envy. Somebody was a better salesman. Somebody was more confident. Somebody had more applause. Somebody had a greater this or greater that. And that went throughout my school days, went into my young teenage days, young 20 days. It's still a struggle in the flesh today if I'm not completely given to the things of the Spirit. You see, is it really a struggle? Well, only when somebody else gets the promotion. Or or only when somebody else posts from their seemingly perfect life again. And you're thinking, I'm not giving you a thumbs up, buddy. Or when your friend gives more time and energy to somebody else. Or when somebody else's health is better than your health. Or somebody else's church is growing faster than your church. Somebody else's life group seems more successful than your life group. Somebody else's ministry is flourishing beyond your ministry. Envy. It may seem like that big of a deal but here's what God says it's a cancer to your soul those thoughts and the feelings that we have regarding envy are not part of the kingdom of God I mean here's what he says James is one of those writers in the New Testament is just about as forward as you can get here's what he says but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart do not boast Or be false about that truth. In other words, don't cover up that truth with your boasting lying. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Jealousy, selfish ambition is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. You see how deadly that is? Ah, you might say, well, nobody's going to know that I'm envious. Oh, they'll see the effect of it. Just like I may not know I have cancer of the bones yet, it's just a matter of time. The effect is going to be evident, and it's going to be powerful. So, yeah, we might be able to not communicate our envy 
with our words to people that we know we might be able to put the mask on and not appear as if we're envious but it is a cancer of a soul that keeps us from seeing things as they should be seen of knowing the blessings of God that he has already entrusted to us and being satisfied and content with our savior who is our provider envy turns out to be a big thing so Jesus frees us from that And here's some ways that we can be free in Christ from envy, how we can walk differently than walking with envy. First is just surrender your heart to Christ. Just surrender your life to Him. Because, see, envy is a heart issue. When God says among the top ten of His laws, thou shalt not covet. When God says thou shalt not covet, He requires that we not be covetous. And yet we fall desperately short in that. We find ourselves being filled with covet attitudes. And that unrighteousness has to be paid for. Jesus is willing and has paid for that on the cross of Calvary. If your faith is given to him, he will give you a freedom from that sin and a regenerated heart. So 40 days is not about us doing life better in self-will and determination now 40 days is a testing period of submission are we submissive to god are we submissive to his spirit my flesh wants to go this way the spirit of god says oh no randy let's go this way he empowers me to do that my flesh wants to be envious and jealous to hold on to stuff and to want stuff that somebody else has and the spirit says Randy, learn contentment in, this, in the truth of Christ. Learn contentment. So envy is listed by God in Mark chapter 7 as one of those inward vices. If you remember the narrative there, there's all these religious people who are trying to put on righteousness externally. Let me wash my hands a certain way. Let me eat certain foods. Let me wear certain clothing. Let me go do this and that at a certain time, at a certain place. And it was all external. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, that's not what defiles you. Not washing your hands right. Not chanting this or that. Not going on this particular day. That's not it. It's the heart. What's in the heart that defiles you? And envy is one of those sins in the heart that defiles us. That's the reason why Jesus went to the cross of Calvary for sins, significant sins, all sin like envy so through the provision of jesus christ you can be freed from envy he can nail it to the cross and give you a resurrected life with a new nature a holy nature by his spirit that you might walk in a new way without envy so surrender your life to christ then let your heart be filled with the love of god by his spirit those who are in christ god pours his love into our hearts we're redeemed he is pouring love into our hearts now god's love at us rejoices when other people are blessed when love for us is in our heart then we're spiteful resentful envious and jealous over other people god's love is radically different God's love is not self, it is others focused. So let God fill your heart with his love, a non-self-seeking love, a a benefit for other people. 
Love is content with what we have because it's focused on meeting the needs of others, not getting more for self. And then pursue oneness in Christ and others by the power of the Spirit. Philippians 2 is a powerful passage regarding that. Just oneness with Christ and others by what the Spirit of God is doing. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Look at this underlined section. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. If you're in the 40-day curriculum that we wrote for our life groups, you were studying this passage today. It came out. What we're learning is God is pouring himself, his love, in us, and that love is an otherly-focused love that builds other people up. So instead of, he got the promotion, it's bless God, he got the promotion. And instead of, he has the health, bless you, God, for you've given him sustaining health. It's a blessing because God is pouring love and you're seeing things differently with the love of God. Seeing others. Pursuing this likeness of God and this rest that we have in God. 1 Peter 1.3 says that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So he says, put away then all your malice and all your deceit and all your hypocrisy and envy. Just put that away because that's not who you are any longer. We've been born again to a living hope. So our victory over envy comes by Christ on the cross, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who has strengthened us to fight against those attitudes of our flesh, including envy. The struggle is real, but Christ is more powerful than that struggle. And then make practical choices to live and walk in the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, he says, and then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You're going to have to get up every day and choose to walk with the Spirit. You can't just mindlessly get up and go on, take your shower, brush your teeth, and go on off to school or work. You and I have to be purposeful to make practical choices to walk with the Spirit. Choosing to walk with the Spirit so that we will not gratify those desires. And as soon as those desires come up, recognize that God's Spirit will help you overcome them. So the things of the flesh that he lists here in Galatians 5, those things of the flesh that I mentioned earlier, including enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy, those things are the flesh. The Spirit has made us new, and he is working in us, showing evidence in us of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There's no need for a law for those things. That's the flourishing work of the Holy Spirit. So you're going to have to choose, though, to walk in the way of the Spirit, changing the way you think about people, changing the way you think about stuff, changing the way you think about your possessions and other people's possessions, just thinking differently in an eternal way. 
practice generosity with a joyful attitude. We're just overcoming envy and the power of the Spirit. It's what Christ is doing for us. And He is making it so that we might have joy in generosity. Jealousy and envy are fostered and fed when we hold tightly to our resources and when we clamor for more. Generosity is not just a kind gesture. Generosity is a focus exercise on that which is eternal. And here's what I mean by that. Hoarding, longing to have more, enviously wanting to have what somebody else has is all an exercise for the temporary and leads into destruction to our living. But when we reverse that, then generosity is an exercise of our heart that leads us away from jealousy and envy and towards the compassionate love of God. I'm just going to throw it out here. I want stuff. I like the stuff that I have, and I want more of stuff. I'm a spender, and I'm also a saver. I like to spend, but I like to see the savings grow. And I want more savings. I anticipate when my 403B is going to send me a statement and to see what kind of money is growing in that. I have a tendency to focus on that. Anybody else like that? There's part of that that's wise. There's part of that that's being a good manager and a good steward. But there's also part of that in me that is not of the kingdom of God. There is part of that makes, that makes me focus on the kingdom of earth. Have more, go more, be more, do more. I want more of it. And that tends to be building jealousy in me to hold on to what I possess and not release it. And that tends to make me look at others and say, yeah, I want that too. And to be envious. Generosity is the antidote. Generosity is releasing that which my flesh wants to hang on to. So it's not mandated by God that you and I would give a tenth of our income. Actually, in the New Testament, God says, I want you to give it all, starting with your heart. But as an exercise, Kay and I give a tenth of the income that you give us as a church. We give a tenth right back to God through you. We gave that check last week from last week's pay period. And that exercise is healthy for me because I know I have a tendency to want to hold on to it, to cling to it, to keep it in my hands rather than somebody else's hands. And that little exercise of, it's the only check I write, of writing 10% back to God through this church is a heart exercise for me. And when we give over that to the building fund or to scholarship fund for young preachers that are coming along. That's an exercise of our heart. Yes, we think that's important for the kingdom of God, but it's about my heart, Kay's heart, because we recognize that if it were left to us, we would be selfish, but God is working something different in us. You with me on that? Generosity is an antidote to these attitudes of jealousy and envy. And then finally, just learn the secret of the power of contentment. There is power in contentment. So Christians, we should delight ourselves in the Lord. You can trust Him. Amen? Yeah, for eight of you, you can trust Him. 
how, how about for the rest of us? You can trust God. Yeah, you can trust His sovereignty. You can trust that He's making choices, that He's on His throne, and He is the owner of all things, and He's entrusting certain things to us. And even though He may entrust more to somebody else, you can trust Him that He gave you the measure that He wants you to trust, and all He demands from you is you be faithful to what He's entrusted. Randy, I don't have the talent somebody else has, and I really want that talent. Trust God that he gave you the ability that he gave you that you might be found faithful with that. Don't worry about somebody else. Just trust God for what he's given it to you. Trust God for the capacity that he's given to you. You say, well, the measure of capacity is reduced in my life, and I want it to be more. Okay, you might work to build capacity, but in the end, it belongs to God, and He wants to know if you're going to be found faithful to the capacity that He's given to you. And if you'll be found faithful with that contentment, my friends, you'll build up joy in your life. You won't be comparing yourself to others. You'll trust God. So having this truth on the forefront of our mind helps relieve us from envy. Just trusting God. Being content with what God has given to us, that builds joy in our life. Here's the way Psalms 37 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. You say, well, Randy, where's the money and possession in that? Money and possession is far, far down the list from righteousness and justice. So God gives you what you need. Righteousness, justice, and sometimes he gives us an abundance more. In the end, somebody's always going to have more than you. No matter how hard you work. No matter how much you accomplish and get to go and do, somebody's life is going to always seem better. And no matter how hard you try, somebody's family is going to be more perfect than yours. And though you might be on a 40-day of eating well and exercising smartly, there is going to be somebody who's going to have more health and vitality than you. You can continue to compare yourself to somebody else and be blinded to the gifts that God has given you. Or you can trust God who is sovereign and gives us according to His grace. Trust Him. Be content in Him. And experience that kind of joy that only comes from a son or a daughter of God. Help us, Lord, to find our faith strong and stronger in you, to trust you and your word, to have in our heart your spirit doing a mighty work to be that of Christ Jesus. I pray where you find sin, that your Holy Spirit would point it out, where there is envy in us, that we would agree with you on that, walk away from that, repent of it, and walk in the way of contentment. I pray that you would do a mighty work for Lord We've proven it to ourselves. We're not very good at changing ourselves when it comes to issues of the heart. So with the newness of heart given to us in faith, with the new work of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us like Christ, would you do a fresh work in this area, I pray, finding us completely submissive to you 
to your honor and glory, may it be true. In the name of Jesus, amen.